This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to On the Grid. I'm Joyce Dooley, your host for the day. As we know, sustainability is an important social, economic, and environmental driver at the heart of the values shaping governments and companies today. In response to the major trends influencing our planet and society, from climate change action to mass urbanization, the ways we move, produce, and consume energy are undergoing a multifaceted transformation. A sustainable future really depends on digitalizing our whole system, and the opportunities are real. A recent study from BCG showed that for an organization of about 80,000 people, the combination of process automation, carbon data transparency, circular product or service design, and sustainable business models can reduce emissions by 45% to 70%. But today's question is, how do we get there? Joining us is Dave Goddard, Head of Digitalization at Hitachi Energy, to explore how digitalization efforts will contribute toward greater social, economic, and environmental value. Dave, welcome to the show. Hello, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. Well, we're really excited to have you. Um, and so before we get into like the meat and potatoes of the discussion, can you first tell us a little bit more about Hitachi Energy? Yes, indeed. So Hitachi Energy is actually a relatively new name for us. In, in October uh, last year, we transitioned to Hitachi Energy from Hitachi ABB Power Grids. Um, historically, uh, we were the power grids division of ABB, um, 250 years of technology innovation. Uh, and in um, the last 18 months or so, we formed a joint venture with Hitachi. So we're now delighted to be a part of the Hitachi family uh, and have transitioned from ABB power grids to Hitachi Energy. Um, and Hitachi's uh, vision, Hitachi's goal is to become the leading transformation partner for social infrastructure. And as we're about to discuss uh, the electrification uh, system and the transformation of that system is perhaps one of the most important social infrastructures of our time. So beautiful alignment between our new owners and uh, what we're here to do, which is to drive that sustainable energy future. Excellent, thank you so much for that because I know that people have heard of the Hitachi name in the past and just, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Dave. How did you end up in the position you're in now? And you know, what do you find so interesting about energy markets? Uh, wow, that's a, that's a big question. So as you can hear, I'm an <laughs> Englishman. I was born in Asia and I've actually spent the last 25 years in the US. So I've picked up a little bit of your twang, if you will, which essentially means I sound Australian now. Um, so I am, I'm a microcosm of globalization, right? I'm a high-tech exec. I come from a, a high-tech background. I spent uh, 22 of those 25 years with Cisco Systems. And at the end of that, that tenure, I was focused on the utility industry and IoT generally, which became absolutely a passion of mine. I, I love the fact that we've got real examples and real change that we can drive. And of course, as we're about to discuss with decarbonization, being so relevant today, it's uh, fantastically uh, aligned. And so I transitioned across to ABB to be head of digitalization for the Power Grids division. And now I'm chief digital officer for Hitachi Energy. Amazing. I am also deeply passionate about the Internet of Things space. I've spent several years being a research analyst in the market and have really enjoyed watching these things kind of come to fruition and really start to hit scale. 
Um, before we move on to our next question, though, what makes you so passionate about energy, though? Well, I, I think it's that the the outcomes are real. We can measure them. Um, and it's so translatable, right? Um, I have a, a, a teenage daughter, a high school age daughter. And when I tell her what it is we do, it translates very well for her and her passions and her her feelings about what we need to do for society going forward. So it's just very easy to be excited by it. Um, it's also, it's a very, very important infrastructure that we're engaged with, and it's going through really the biggest transformation that it's been through in the last hundred plus years. So not only is it sort of the biggest driver of our time, decarbonization, we've got one of the most important infrastructures going through its largest and fastest transformation. It's hard not to be excited by it, quite frankly. Most definitely. Excellent. Okay, so we know that sustainable energy is enabled by digitalization, but what does that really look like today? Um, so people often use three or four Ds to describe the change, the transformation that's happening around us, or the, or the, the, the macro trends that are driving it. And they say um, decentralization, uh, decarbonization, digitalization, and in some cases they use the term democratization. I tend to look at it slightly differently, right? At the end of the day, there's no question, decarbonization is one of the most critical um, uh, macro trends of our time. It's fundamentally important, foundationally important to our, to our future as a society. Um, but we're not really dealing with uh, the transformation of an energy system that is that is being distributed. What's really happening is we're seeing certainly much more localized energy management, but we're also seeing interconnectivity at a much larger scale than we have in the past with DC links connecting regions and geographies together. Um, we're obviously having to adapt and adopt renewable energy in much, much, much greater uh, levels than we have in the past. And that means we've got a lot of much smarter systems being connected to the grid at the edge, all of which uh, to me means we're not really dealing with a decentralization activity, we're dealing with a diversification activity, right? We're having to diversify and manage that massive diversity and complexity that's coming as a consequence. And therefore, digitalization isn't a trend. It's a requirement. It's a fundamental necessity. We won't be able to achieve the level of renewables adoption um, and renewables hosting that is required without digitalization and without a very significant increase in available renewable energy or available green energy, it doesn't all have to be wind and solar uh, and hydro, then we won't achieve our decarbonization goals. So at the end of the day, digitalization is not a trend, it's a necessity, and it's a necessity that enables our management of the diversity. Mm, really great point. You talk to industrial companies all the time. What guidance do you share about starting the journey and making it successful? Oh, that's the that's the ten thousand dollar question. The net net of all this, and we started with the with the statement, um, the value is real. The net net of all this, of course, is it's about finding and generating that value um, through. In my humble opinion, let's call it my humble opinion. Um, the key way to harness that value is data. It's getting to the right data and then using that data to optimize in incrementally small ways your business. 
Um, a lot of a lot of customers that I uh, have been talking to over the last five years or so that I've been um, a part of ABB and now Hitachi Energy began with a what's my digital roadmap, what's my broad transformational journey approach, but in reality realized very quickly that those incremental steps are the important ones. So begin the journey by looking for the optimization of your work practices or um, the prediction and avoidance of failures, the things that give you an incremental return on the investment you're making and then extend from there. Um, the other thing I talk about a lot is that people tend to refer to digital and digitalization as a thing. At the end of the day, it's a toolkit and it's a toolkit that enables your business strategy. So whatever you do from a digital strategy perspective, and I, I spend a lot of time on this within Hitachi Energy, it has to be tied to your business strategy. So, you know, where do you see the biggest areas for opportunity as the world electrifies? You know, how are these shaping your business? Yeah, I mean, that one statement is probably the key transformative statement for, for those of us in the industry. Um, we believe that electricity will become the backbone of the new energy system. And that means a massive increase in the consumption of electricity. And so that massive increase leads to both a lot of change and a lot of opportunity. If I look through the lens of digital at what's changing and where the opportunity uh, lies for us, then there's sort of three areas where I think we're seeing, we're seeing change and that change is generating um, um, opportunity. The first is in the control system layer. Um, so we just talked about diversity being one of the major challenges that we have, complexity being one of the major challenges that we have. So today we have a we have a system which is certainly far more dynamic than it was historically. Um, but uh, we are moving into a world in which we have to integrate far more local energy management capabilities, um, far more uh, smart systems at the edge. Buildings will become participants in the grid. Uh, vehicle fleets will become participants in the grid. Um, and so the control layer itself will change. Obviously, the most um, uh, the, the clearest of those opportunities is distributed energy resource management systems, DERMs. But it really means uh, and necessitates, say, an evolution in our network control, our advanced distribution management, um, including DERMs as a, as a functionality and a capability, all the way down to the energy management systems that will that will be uh, resident within uh, battery energy storage systems as, as standalone grid connected assets, or indeed if a data center is locally generating, maybe using electrolysis and, and uh, hydrogen power cells alongside solar and batteries to sort of become more independent, well, that also will have to participate in the balancing of the grid. So the control system is going through a huge evolution over time. And there's a lot we can learn, I think, in the context of how other industries have transformed in that space. The second area is a little more traditional. So the existing infrastructure will be there for a very long time. This is not a rip and replace conversation. So um, existing uh, gas generation will have to help us through the transformation and transition period. Um, some of our more legacy generation sources are also very relevant going forward. Nuclear is a topic that comes up as a as an area of thought. And so the traditional and existing infrastructure, there's a lot that we need to do there. We have to extend the useful life 
We have to help our customers optimize the performance of the assets and systems within that infrastructure. We need to help them move from their time-based maintenance to a much more risk-managed approach and reliability-centered uh, approach to the way they're managing that infrastructure. And then we've got to make that infrastructure more visible and active and manageable uh, so that it connects well and plays well with that new control system of the future that we were describing. And then lastly, and perhaps most in interestingly, there's, there's the adoption of electricity into new market segments. Um, as more and more industry adopts electricity as the foundation of its energy uh, system, there's an opportunity for vendors like Hitachi Energy, for OEMs like Hitachi Energy, to take our knowledge, which we've of course acquired over decades and decades of engaging with utility customers who understand and operate their systems with great skill, we can take that knowledge and we can begin to export that knowledge. So not only are we offering the systems to support the electrification of, we can help those, those customers in the segments that um, for which electricity is not a core business, we can help them be more successful by exporting our knowledge as well. And if you if you think about those those segments and the adoption of electricity, there's absolutely, of course, a segment specific and very unique set of requirements that will be there for a data center or a refinery or an electric uh, uh, vehicle fleet operator. But as you as you look at what they need and you go higher and higher logically in the value stack, when you get to layers like capacity aggregation and trading, assuming that that, that uh, customer in the segment is using energy storage as a, as a key component of their energy adoption strategy, they may well decide that I want to trade. I'd like to take my excess capacity. Let's say, for example, I'm the operator of a fleet of school buses, uh, and I know that those school buses will be sat for long periods of time, and so I know that um, even though they are electrified and I could charge them to a small amount of charge to have them only travel the distance necessary for the route I will put them on today, I could actually overcharge them. Then I've got additional capacity I might want to use. Um, that's not a new use case, but imagine though that use case is very similar, whether you've got a fleet of mobile batteries or a fleet of static batteries. And so as you look at electrification across industry, you have both the segment opportunity, the unique capabilities required by the fleet operator or the data center op operator, and you've got the platform capabilities, the cross-segment opportunities in trading or enabling a market um, for others to, uh, to democratize, for example. So lots of unique and very interesting opportunities uh, premised around new business models and the ability to export our knowledge into industry. Um, I think there's a lot of challenges to overcome, but there's a lot of things to be really excited about as we're kind of, you know, approaching this new phase of energy. So what are some of the success stories in using data to drive sustainability? And what are some of the ways digitalization will play a key role? Wow, there are many and, and very diverse. Let, let me give you a couple of examples that I've sort of referenced and, and sort of add more meat to them. So I talked a little bit about the traditional infrastructure and the digitalization of that infrastructure to extend its useful life. One of the areas we've seen tremendous success is in helping customers drive down cost. So not always about new incremental revenues, it's about driving down cost. A, a good example of that is if you can, 
if you can start to identify an asset that may have a failure mode approaching, or even you can get to prognostics that allow you to project when it might fail, you can help the customer limit the amount of times they have to visit the particular asset and send them only when it's critical that they do so. That's a perfect example. And depending on the customer, we, ha we have a customer in, in uh, Eastern Europe with a very, very large um, uh, transmission area. Travel is a very expensive proposition. And so they can save many millions of US dollars a year by optimizing how they inspect and how they manage uh, maintenance. If you expand upon that idea of prognostics, if we can get better at identifying failure, we can help customers pivot to managing risk. And managing risk is a really, really important aspect of the evolution in that, in that infrastructure space. Same general idea, um, if I am a producer of wind or a trader in wind power, understanding uh, more accurately just how much I'm gonna generate by understanding what the weather forecast is going to look like can make a significant difference to the operation of my business. And even a tiny percentage more accuracy actually translates into a lot more operating profit or reduced, reduced cost. Um, uh, one of my favorite examples as we sort of uh, continue down the sort of um, diversification challenge, a company called Skagerag Energy in, uh, in Northern Europe. So, so Skagerag Energy has a, um, a really fabulous use case, uh, case study, sorry, where um, they began with the concept of adding solar panels to the roof of a football stadium, soccer stadium, as we say here in, uh, in the US. Um, and that expanded to uh, managing the energy consumption of the commercial buildings in the uh, local area of the, of the facility that they're in, managing the electric vehicle charging. So what began as a, can we power the, the, the soccer floodlights using solar power became a community microgrid. Really interesting idea. And of course that community microgrid tomorrow may be a part of a, uh, of a series of microgrids that would play a role in the local power grid, which is where that whole um, um, grid automation layer and its evolution uh, comes in. And then we just talked about um, battery energy storage as a part of a, as a microgrid. And then I, in the previous answer, gave you that, that evolution from I, I use batteries to smooth my consumption curve. I use batteries to um, store locally so that I can provide lighting at night when I've charged it during the day. But, you know, maybe if I can understand how I use those batteries, I can start to use the incremental capacity uh, in a more effective or efficient way. So we have customers in Australia who deployed battery energy storage systems for that purpose and then used additional capacity, having understood what their usage patterns look like, used the additional capacity to help stabilize the local grid and help frequency regulate the local grid. So you can see there's lots and lots of examples that we have where we've begun with the use case, expanded the use case, and over time, uh, we're starting to flow into those bigger, bigger, more hairy problems that I described earlier. So one concept that we hear a lot about are digital twins, especially as they relate to system equipment performance. Can you help us understand what they are and what they do? Well, I can certainly try. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I would say is digital twins are not a thing. People tend to talk about digital twins as a thing. It's a paradigm. Um, it's a paradigm of capabilities. Um, 
that I tend to view across two axes, right? One is a life cycle axis, and the other is a, let's describe it as a complexity axis, right? Um, you can have a digital twin for an asset, and you can have a digital twin for a system. And so you've, it's, it's not a thing, right? What we're talking about is a set of capabilities that are essentially purposed around around providing the power of cloud-based or centralized analytics whilst present on site and providing the insight and real-time information that you get on site when remotely managing or monitoring from a control center. So really they're designed to break down the challenges associated to distance. And it's one of the, um, uh, one of the, the, the big opportunities that's come from the challenges in the pandemic, of course. A lot of our customers are exploring, how do I go touchless? Well, the way to go touchless, of course, is from the control center to get real-time insight into the state and performance and operating characteristics of my system. And to do that in a, in a relevant and contextually simplified way, if I can use a visualization layer to help me cut to the right data and the right insight, that's a digital twin. So an asset digital twin might show you the hotspot where a winding is corroded or might indicate to you that you've got an oil leakage issue and maybe even be able to indicate visually where that oil leakage issue might be. From a life site or, or, or at a system level, it may actually help you understand the risk of that transformer failing in the context of the broader system. So there's the complexity aspect. Then there's the life cycle aspect. So one of the areas that we've had really interesting and very good success actually is in using the concept of digital twins to uh, engage more effectively with our customers during the life cycle. So the ability to take a CAD drawing, develop a 3D visual representation, and then join a customer, a customer in a virtual uh, reality um, tour to walk through the facility to talk about, well, that cable's clearly too low, we're gonna bang our heads, this isn't wide enough, right? We can use digital twins very early in the planning life cycle. And of course that cuts down the amount of travel necessary for everyone to get on planes, be in a room, you can do it virtually. You can take that same thing, then extrapolate it a little bit and say, if we're really accurate in our rendition of that model, we can work out whether this part will fit through that door. Um, as we move from the design and the planning, we can get to the commissioning stage. And of course, digital twins become a key enabler of our ability to remotely commission uh, products without physically going on site to do so. Uh, a very, very key enabler. As you build a very complex substation, you capture an inordinate amount of documentation, a huge amount of documentation, which usually arrives to the customer in a, in a hard copy or a large soft copy, um, a large hard copy folder or a, or a, a large uh, soft copy file, but is you know, enormously cumbersome to work your way through. Well, imagine if you could take that documentation that comes with the provision of a new substation and provide contextually relevant guidance for this asset. What's the available documentation? What's the provenance of all the components? When were they tested? Where were they tested? When was it commissioned? And we actually have a, a digital twin offer we call Identique, which is very specifically doing that. It's, it's taking all of the massive complexity of the documentation and simplifying it 
using visualization to enable uh, contextual tying of products together. From there, you can move to training. From there, you can move to monitoring and management, and of course, on through. And so if you were to take that example of the lifecycle digital twin, couple it with the system digital twin, you can imagine if you're operating an offshore wind farm, it would be enormously powerful if you've got a lot of insight that was visually, contextually um, relating all of that data. So that you've been there, you know what the place looks and feels like. Now you can see exactly what's going on in a way that you can relate to very easily, but you can do it without jumping on a helicopter unless you have to. So you can see Digital Twin is a set of capabilities, a toolkit of capabilities across both the life cycle and in terms of the complexity of where the asset resides within the system. And that's the way we look at, uh, at digital twins. Now, if you think about it, what that really means is that tomorrow the management system looks like a system of digital twins. I have a twin view of my assets. I know how my assets play within my system. I know where the system is within its life cycle. And we take that concept and we call that the enterprise twin. So at that stage, what you've got is the idea that all of the data is available to me. I have a single pane of glass that allows me to look into all aspects of my business. And I can take all of that data, break it out of its silos, because let's face it, a lot, a lot of data today is still very siloed. And I can use it to make decisions around operation. I can use it also to help me with automation. We know that in order to really leverage renewables at scale, this requires heavy investments, especially if you want to hit decarbonization targets for 2050. Where do we go from here? Uh, where do we go from here? I, I mean, I, I think it's been pretty clear in, in what we've been describing that, that digitalization is an absolutely vital aspect of our future. Um, in order to adopt renewables, and we know well now uh, the problems that renewables generate, right? They're unpredictable. They reduce inertia from the system. Um, we've got to find a way to host them, sometimes in infrastructure where we're not... Uh, we, we haven't developed business process to, to, to handle dual power flow. Um, in a lot of cases, the renewables are coming in from new players uh, that are, are not the existing traditional regulated environment. We've got to manage that. So we know in order to achieve our, our decarbonization goals, we have to host more renewables. We know those renewables generate a lot of complexity. And I've described hopefully in a way that translates for the audience, the diversity challenge that we have with all these new smart systems. And so um, understanding through predicting the weather, what we're going to get from the new renewables, what we need from our existing spinning reserve, our, our traditional services tomorrow, understanding how that evolves. You know, there'll be times when um, we actually have, and, and, and Germany and Northern Europe is a, is a great example of this very regularly today. We have plenty of renewable power on particularly windy days, for example. So understanding and being able to optimize and manage for that is absolutely key. Being able to enable uh, new smart systems to become an active participant in this grid, especially as it becomes more complex and we start to manage locally, all of that is enabled by digitalization. Um, and it's all going to come from the journey that we're on today. So a lot of my peers in the industry would say hopefully very similar things to me in the context of the value of digitalizing the assets, the value of digitalizing the systems, the value of being able to visualize their current performance, their current state, understand whether in fact there's some risk 
in their current performance and state and whether in fact they're likely to fail, when they're going to fail. Um, so all of this really becomes a recurring extension upon the existing activities. Um, we're really starting to see adoption of this concept of the digital twin in, in offers like the one I shared with you earlier, Identique. And so I, I think really the answer to your question is I think we have to stay the course. We're, we're, we're headed in the right direction. There is less resistance today uh, than there was a decade ago to the idea that digitalization brings value. Um, one thing I would say is that we also need to uh, perhaps accelerate the adoption of automation. Um, World Economic Forum put a white paper out not so very long ago around the value of AI and what AI can bring us. Um, automation uh, doesn't necessarily mean I'm hands off, right? It could very well mean that um, the system is providing control on request or the system is guiding us on activities that might need to occur. Um, and so, you know, adoption of automation really can help us focus the human intelligence that we have on only those key tasks. So I do think adoption of automation, adoption of AI is somewhere that we need to perhaps provide some acceleration. Other than that, stay the course. Fabulous. And I couldn't agree with you more. Dave, thank you so much for your time today. I think this has been a really enlightening conversation. I'm really grateful you were, had, you were able to join us um, and we look forward to future discussions. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Um, hopefully it was uh, interesting to the audience and um, I look forward to uh, further conversations. Excellent. Thank you. And for everybody tuning in, you can find out more about our research if you follow at Dylan Lockwood and at J.E. Dooley. With that, everybody have a great day.